Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Awesome. Thank you for that. Thanks for the prayer. I really appreciate that today. Um, this is just a, such a unique moment to speak into and to preach into uh, in our in our society, right at this moment, uh, I think we're wrestling with a greater sense of division, a greater sense of angst and frustration, and um, battling kind of on on various sides. It's a it's a touchy moment to preach into and to sort of help uh, a body find uh, its center, help a body find its uh, its uh, connection with Jesus in the midst of it all. So, I uh, actually really appreciate the prayer um, this morning. Um, it is. Um, sort of unprecedented times in terms of disunity, in terms of our city, in terms of our province, our nation, and within the church. Uh, if you look at your social media feed or you, uh, you even think about our body, our church, the people that you know, you know there's some people in this moment who would be just so excited to uh, grab a flag and to run downtown and to join a protest, and there would be others who'd be sort of watching from home and saying, hey, I'm, I'm not sure that's wise. I don't think we should be blocking bridges and, and being disobedient. Uh, I, I don't feel good about that. And these are both, you know, beloved, uh, beautiful uh, Christian believers with different convictions on things like that. And uh, it's a real challenge for us. What do we do when there are committed Christians with different convictions? What do we do when there are, are beautiful, uh, discipled, believers who believe the same things as you and I, uh, when they want to go a different way, they want to do different things, they believe different things, and especially when the issues are very complex. Uh, on, on one extreme, uh, you, you, you might have a view over here and you might have a view over here, but then there's a, a whole group of people that are in the center in various places that are uh, uh, asking, like, where do they fit? What do I believe about this? What do I understand about it? Uh, very many of us with just questions saying, I, I actually honestly don't know what to think. I honestly don't know uh, what, what to believe. I don't know how to interpret the data. I don't know how to walk. I'm in it. And in this uh, issue that we're wrestling with today, um, there really are uh, faithful, passionate believers on both sides of it. Uh, some who would see uh, something like the mandates as a, a violation of human freedom on one side, and they would be passionate, faithful believers. And there would be some who'd be on the other side who would say, hey, uh, being anti-mandate brings an undue risk to human safety. And they would hold that passionately on the other side. Again, beautiful uh, believers who love Jesus. as overtly simplistic but we could say that on one side, um, there are some that would view um, human safety as something uh, maybe worth sacrificing on the altar of human freedom. And way on the other side, there would be some who would see, you know, human uh, freedom is worth something, is something worth sacrificing on the altar of human safety, right? And again, both passionate, beautiful believers uh, that we love in, in my space as a pastor is to help us thread the needle and understand where this fits uh, in the scriptures and where this fits in terms of what God thinks of all of it. And I think my space is to stand in the middle here 
and with kind of a very gentle and cautious word to those here in present and those who are online, hey, to all of you on the online side, um, and sort of say uh, with a, a little bit of a warning that biblically for us as Christians, both of those altars, the altar of human freedom and the altar of human safety, we need to be very careful about those because they may very well be altars to false gods. Both of them might be altars to false gods, or they can become so in our heart. If you come to value human freedom above all else, and you might sacrifice human safety on it, you might sacrifice the safety of others on it, you might need to ask yourself a question, is this really an altar? Uh, to God the Father. And if you look at the other altar on the other side and you're really interested in it and you're really focused in it and that's where you're living and that's where you're dwelling, there's a chance that might be another false altar to a false God. Uh, As a Christian, with your life given over to Jesus in surrender to him and to serve him and to love him, you are offered no promise of freedom and no promise of safety. The Bible doesn't offer us that. We are offered a freedom from sin as we become slaves to Christ. And we are called sometimes to realize we're safe only in the resurrection, only in eternity, and oftentimes to surrender our health, to surrender our safety, to surrender uh, our strength on behalf of the gospel and to endure, as Paul did, prison and chains and suffering and all kinds of difficult things. And to sacrifice those things on the altar of a passion to see that uh, Jesus is worshipped, to know him, to glorify him, and to see him known to make disciples of all nations. That is the place of surrender for us. That is the altar uh, for us. So for Christians, uh, we sacrifice everything to glorify him. We sacrifice everything to know him. And uh, I think my goal as pastor is to call us back and call some of our attention back from those places that we're chasing in media and our social media feeds and all of that and say, hey, let's come back to the center and find our eyes fixed on Jesus. If your passion for human freedom is distracting you from reaching your friends with the gospel, if it's keeping you from working to build up the body of Christ, if it's something that is saying to you internally, hey, I can't have fellowship with that other believer. I can't connect with them. I I can't identify with them. I can't be with them. Then that's a wrong altar. If your passion for human safety is keeping you locked in your house and fearful, judging from a distance, afraid of the church, afraid of being in fellowship with other believers, that may be worshiping at the wrong altar. We should feel burning in our souls with everything that it is in us, uh, a passion, uh, the furious passion of a loving God who is jealous for the attention of his bride, jealous for the attention of his church, and wants to see her eyes fixed on him, her eyes fixed on him, and glorifying him with one voice. 
So like there's spaces, right? There's times when we might need to be involved in protest and civil disobedience, and we could talk specifically about where those might be sometimes, but even um, these really important issues that we have to discuss as a society, uh, they better not become idols. They better not become altars for us. And he was there hovering over the waters, speaking creation into existence. He was there planning humanity's redemption. He was parting the waters. He was dwelling in his temple. He was dying on a Roman cross, raised from the dead, uh, seated at the right hand of the Father long before our beautiful nation Canada ever existed. Right? Long before this nation that we're passionate about even existed, and he will be seated on the throne long after it's gone. Long after it's gone. So as we are passionate about our nation and people are passionate about various issues on various sides and trying to see our nation uh, moved into a place where we want it to be, we need to remember that our nation is not an ultimate thing. That our nation is big as it is, as beautiful as it is, as much as we love it, it's the place where we live. It's not an ultimate thing. He is the only ultimate thing. He's the only ultimate thing. We have to worship him. So um, we're doing in the middle of a series, and we're calling it the One Series. And what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to take um, the the center of the gospel, uh, Paul's letter written to the church in Ephesus. Uh, It's written to a divided uh, city at a divided time. Uh, There have been riots over Christianity in the city. It's been a difficult time. Paul's writing the letter from prison. Um, and, uh, and he's sort of writing to this church and saying, hey, there's a principle that I want you to understand. There's something that I want you to know uh, so that you can navigate this time together. I'm just going to read Ephesians 4, chapter 1 to 6, and this has been our anchoring text for the series, but I want to hit it again. Uh, he says that, I therefore, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And there's these two phases of this text. Uh, The first part, verses 1 to 3, Paul calls the church to walk in a way that's worthy, humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity and the bond of peace. And then Paul tells you why. He tells you how. He tells you how it's supposed to work. Um, What motivates this? In verses 4 to 6, we have uh, these powerful uh, ones, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We see these things as as center. These things are a mini creed, like one of the first Christian creeds ever written. What he's saying, what he's trying to get us to there is, hey, listen, if you're having trouble walking worthily, if you're having trouble walking uh, in humility, if you're having trouble walking in gentleness, if you're having trouble walking in kindness, in patience, if you're having trouble bearing with one another, that's something that we don't actually understand. Uh, Just to unpack that for a second, uh, bearing with one another means to endure with one another. 
It means to share another person's burden. It means maybe you're not burdened by something. Maybe you're free. Maybe you're able to do something that somebody else is unable to do, but you come in under what they're under, and you bear that with them. You bear that with them. You bear that person's burden. Um, And if you have a trouble with any of those behaviors, that kindness, goodness, forbearance, gentleness, self-control, all of these things that are, you know, ultimately fruits of the Spirit, you need to know that your oneness, your ones, matter more than the things that ruin your patience, ruin your uh, gentleness, that ruin your humility, that cause you to be proud and arrogant. Your oneness in the body of Christ trumps those things. He's saying that they're more, they're greater. The mighty God who created the universe, uh, you, you call him Father. You share that, God, with other believers. You are both endeavoring as believers uh, to live in repentance of sin. If there's somebody that you are having trouble having patience with, remember, you are coldly gathered together to repent. You're gathered in repentance. You are baptized together. Uh, You are turning from your sin together, and you are baptized into one body together. You have both placed your faith in Jesus and his pivotal work on the cross. You have one faith in him and in him alone, and it is by faith alone that you are saved. You are both submitted to him as Lord and Savior. If you have uh, Uh, an inability to be patient and kind with another believer, you've got to remember that that person is somebody who also calls Jesus Lord. You are submitted to him together. If you have have the same belief, the same hope in the resurrection, uh, the same hope for your health, the same hope for your safety is an eternal hope. And you share that together, so you share danger together. Uh, You hold that together. You're both inhabited by the same Holy Spirit. You both need to reverence the presence of the Holy Spirit as that person's Holy Spirit dwells in that other person with whom you're having trouble having patience, with whom you're having trouble having humility. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, right? The foundation of unity, the foundation of respect and honor and loving another human being is the fact that the Holy Spirit of the living God dwells inside of them. And you'd better be respectful because he not only hears what you say to them, but he hears your thoughts about them and he loves them and he died for them. Our unity is founded on this shared presence of the Holy Spirit and you're actually the same body. Uh, from Paul's or from heaven's perspective, you're actually as integrated with one another as your hand is integrated with your foot and your eye is integrated with your ear. You're the same body. We're going to talk about that this morning. So you've got to balance that. You've got to balance all of these ones. These are not small things. Uh, humility, gentleness, patience, all of these things flow from an understanding that these ones trump Every disagreement, every argument, every political issue, everything that you face and that you are concerned about in our society, these cosmic ones trump them all. These trump them all. And if you elevate anything above these truths, you're bowing at a false altar and you're in sin.
and you need to repent. We need to repent. If anything is captivating your heart more than these things, anything is captivating my attention more than these things, it's wickedness and brokenness. It's pride. And I must find myself on my knees before a holy and mighty God. He's God. He's God Almighty. Our nation, Canada, is under his feet. Paul's teaching on the body of Christ is it, it, it's a tiny piece of this, but it's included in his creed because it, it, it's so significant, so significant to Paul. I want us to just read a selection from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 11 to 18 together. It's talking about spiritual gifts. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, and so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. We talked about that last week, that unity in the spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Just want to just, just, I just want to go back for a second to that previous slide. Um, in verse 21, he, he says the opposite, right? This, what this just, just reflects for a second here is this uh, thing that we sometimes have of feeling like we don't fit. If I don't fit as part of the body, I don't belong to the body. I, I'm different. My views are different. I, I, I'm not sure where I fit in this. That, that's what he's addressing there. But I just want to make sure that you understand that in verse 21, he operates uh, and, and addresses the other side. If there's anything in you that says to somebody else in the body, it reads like this, verse 21, uh, he reverses the flow. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So if you, we're sitting in a place of saying, hey, that piece of the body that I don't, I don't think it fits, it doesn't belong, we, we don't get to push it away either. We don't get to say we don't belong, and we don't get to say anybody else doesn't belong. Verse 18, jumping ahead, um, but it is as God, but as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. 
each one of them as he chose. And just look at the next slide with me for a second here. I want us to understand the, the bookends on this. We're empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, or the other side, I can't say I don't fit. And then in verse 18, God arranged the members of the body, and he reminds us again, each one of them, as he chose. Our choosing doesn't have anything to do with it. If you're choosing, whether you fit or not, or if you're choosing, if somebody else fits or not, you're violating the will of God. And built into this distribution of the gifts, some given to others and not given to others, as Paul outlines it in 1 Corinthians, if you are are understanding this well, what you're understanding is that God has intentionally designed the body of Christ for interdependence and not for independence. He has intentionally designed the body of Christ So that you need what others have, and others need what you have. The next slide, just just look for a second. For our own good and for His glory, God has sovereignly chosen to make each one of us incomplete. You are incomplete. You are not enough. I am not enough. We are not designed for independence. The body is not designed for independence. It doesn't work. Your life doesn't work as an independent agent. You are missing something. You're missing something. You're not whole. You're not complete. You're not functional. And I just, just going quick, and this is a sermon series, I think coming at us down the line, you're hearing the introduction to a sermon series, but there are four ways and probably more that I haven't thought of, but just a quick sketch in which we are designed for inter, in, interdependence. When we're designed for interdependence and, and dependence on one another practically, if we look at Acts 32 after 35, the early Christians understood this. All the believers were on one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. Imagine that. If we understood as a body that the things we own, we don't actually own. Our cars, our homes, our bank accounts. You have what someone else needs. Someone else has what you need. A developmental, uh, I'm just going to go back to Proverbs 27, uh, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, but we see that uh, elsewhere in the New Testament when it talks about uh, how we're made to interact with one another. Sometimes when you have to bring correction to a brother or sister who's in sin, uh, for us to develop as believers, uh, we need to come together. Uh, Somebody has something there 
for you to help you develop and become the person you're meant to become. Uh, directional, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 29. Let the prophets speak, two or three, but let the others judge. We're not supposed to discern the will of God by our own prophecies out into the air to ourselves. We submit them to other leaders so that they can judge and, and determine, is this something that the body needs to hear or is it something the body doesn't need to hear? We're not independent in our prophetic gifts in the New Testament context. Um, Acts 15, 28, when they're trying to decide uh, how the church should relate to people uh, in the Greek world, they come back to Jerusalem for this massive council, and Paul is arguing with Peter, and they're coming together. What they decide in the end, how does Paul navigate his mission journey with the churches in Asia? Uh, they come together and they say in the end, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Paul wasn't a free agent. He came back to Jerusalem for counsel. And they decided and they listened and they heard together. They heard the word of the Lord together. They decided together. Direction that is set for your life is not meant to be set by you alone. And missionally, of course, we just talked about that in 1 Corinthians 12. We simply don't have the gifts as individuals that we need. Somebody else has a piece that the church needs to move it forward. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. You can't be a church by yourself. I can't be a church by myself. Someone that you might be judging may have some practical thing that you desperately need. Or some that you might be judging might need a thing that you have. Someone whose opinion on a political issue drives you nuts may be the very person God has put in your life to be the iron on which you're sharpened. And your character is meant to be developed. Someone who is on the other side of an issue you're passionate might actually be appointed by God to help set a wise trajectory in your life and discern direction for you going forward. And someone who you'd rather not work with might have exactly the gifts you need to get where you're going and to do what the church is called to do. For this to work, we have to come away from our side missions, our side issues, our pet issues, and center on our mission to go make disciples of all nations, teaching them uh, to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. We have a mission as a church, a shared mission that trumps a lot of other missions that we're on. In this moment, we're seeing a society in turmoil, and we feel actually almost desperate to do something, almost desperate to take action. I was talking about this with Simon. There's something pent up in us that wants to achieve something, that wants to say something, that wants to make a statement, that wants to make a difference, that wants to change uh, the world around us, change our nation. We want to do something. We want to act. Beautiful, desperate believers want to act. Can we find some desperate believers who want to build the church? Can we find some believers who are desperate to act who want to do evangelism? Can we find some believers who are desperate to act, who want to disciple uh, those who don't yet know, yet know Jesus? Can we find some believers who are desperate to act, 
who will build up the body of Christ, encourage people, have them in their homes, and care for them. I want to take us back to our first line in our text in Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The context for Paul's passionate plea to be people who walk worthily, eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. The context for this is a prison cell. That's where where Paul's writing this from. He's writing this from a prison cell. His prime minister, I mean emperor, Nero, was one of the most evil humans known to human history. He murdered his stepbrother, his mother. He kicked his wife to death so he could marry a man who looked like her. He took Christians and had his soldiers um, literally light them on fire and burn them as torches in his garden for a garden party. I think that might be a little government overreach. From that place of injustice and cruelty and wickedness and misuse of power, Paul says almost nothing, almost nothing against that government. The only thing we have in Paul and the only thing we have in Peter is submit to the authorities that God has placed over you. Pray for them and honor them. And all of that makes up about 15 verses in the New Testament. And that's it. 15 verses in the New Testament. The rest of Paul's and Peter's writing is wholly, 100% dedicated to building up the body of Christ. Paul's strategy for changing the world he was living in was to build a church. It's to build a church. To build an alternative society that maybe lived in ways different. It didn't capitulate to culture. It lived in a radically different way. But he wasn't invested in breaking the culture around him. He was invested in building something radically different. And we are in danger of ignoring this beautiful thing that we are called to build and wasting our time and energy on the thing that's out there. If you want to do something relevant and you want to do it according to a biblical strategy, you build a church. You build a church. That's what Paul did. That's what he called us to do. A political hill, Parliament Hill, Capitol Hill, those are not our hills to die on. Because there's another hill that Jesus died on. He died on Calvary. And that is more significant than anything 
else we can be concerned with. That is a message that is more significant than any other message we can say to our society. And it might mean that we might endure some suffering. It might cost us some freedom. And it might cost us our health. We might not have power. We might not have authority in our culture. But we have a strategy. And we have a mighty, mighty God who is building something and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Worship team, you guys can come up. We have to be one. One church, one body. We have to come together. We have to be transformed. We have to come from our factions and from our various sides and from our passions, and we have to come together and build a church. Say that with every pastoral bone in my body and with whatever prophetic bone is in my body. I prophesy this. And you can all judge it. But we must be one church. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca. Thank you.